this morning, I want to try to do something I've never done before. I asked Pastor Rod, I'm like, hey, I spoke at this men's retreat. By the way, he's never been to women's retreat. I've done numerous women's retreats. Um, um, when you get hired to do a magic show for women's retreat, you just go. Uh, sometimes I get to bring my wife with those. It, it works out. Does it, it's not as awkward being at a women's retreat, but I have been to several of those. So, uh, But I wanted to try, I talked to Pastor Rod, and I was like, I spoke at men's retreat. I really have this um, idea that I wanted to speak on. And then as I started to prepare, God's like, you thought you were going to do that. Um, And uh, keep it easy on me, no. Uh, So what I'm going to try to do is unpack something I've never done before, which is this, is uh, most of you know, if you don't, I, I do professional sleight of hand. That's, that's my job. I get to do sleight of hand uh, magic, share, share God's love with people through sleight of hand. What I'm going to try to do is try to unpack magic principles that I've been working on for the last 30-some years and show you how those overlay um, with principles that are found in the scriptures. So let me give you an idea. Um, P.T. Selbit, he is the guy who created the... Actually, he didn't create it, but he's the the first one to do it live. There are people who had the idea before him, but he was the first person to saw a woman in half. Now, we would just go like, this is a a mundane, ordinary, like magic thing. But in 1921, when P.T. Selbit did it for the first time, there were ambulances outside. People fainted during the performance. People screamed and ran out. Like it was like nothing anybody had seen before, right? And this is, when I think about like the, the secrets of of the faith, right? Is it's not just like in the method. People want to know, oh, what's the method? How do you do it? But like for that coin trick, right? I could do that a hundred different ways. So if you went, oh, I know this method, I could go, okay, I could do it this way. And then you're like, oh, I didn't know that, right? And so um, it's not just like the the secret, right? Isn't in the method, but it's it's in how it's presented and, um, and how you build a story around that. In our faith, right? The secrets of the faith aren't in the facts, right? We, all of us can look through the scriptures and go, okay, I know this, 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 but it's not in the facts, but it's in the transformation that takes place in the lives of ordinary people to do extraordinary things. I, I, was, I did youth ministry for a decade in uh, the, the local church before God um, opened up the doors for me to travel around the world sharing the gospel through illusions. And uh, there was a girl in my youth group, 16 years old. Her father was killed um, in a, in a um, bar fight. And um, when her, her father was killed, it devastated her world. Like imagine a 16-year-old, like that's that, everything you know, you're connected deeply to your dad. She had a great relationship with her dad. How does, two, about a year and a half, two years later, how does a young woman whose life has been transformed by Christ, sit across from the person who killed her father and say, I want to know, let you know that I have forgiven you. God loves you, right? How does that happen? It happens because God transforms people from the inside out, right? It's not about laying out facts. It's about the transformation that takes place, right? Those are the real secrets that are going on in the faith, right? And so I'm going to share a little bit of the secrets of, of, of the art that I work on, but the, the secrets aren't in like knowing the, the methods or the amount of stuff you know. It's in how you apply that to your life. So Jeremiah 33, 3 says this. He says, call to me and I will answer. 
you. And I will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. So God wants to share secret hidden things that you can't know. The only way you can know it is the God who hears you, right? You have to call on him. That's our responsibility is we call on God and he not just hears us, but he answers us. Sometimes we don't like the answers, right? But God hears us and he answers us. So God wants to reveal secrets to each one of us about who he is. I shared this at a men's retreat um, the other day. Is there's, if, if we were to imagine that, that God is like a, a ball of like rubber bands, I know that's a horrible analogy, but work with me for a second, right? It's, you know, like those rubber bands that you, you know, put it, you bounce it, right? It's so God, like, let's just say like his secrets are on these rubber bands and you take one off, you're like, oh, okay, I'm closer to knowing God. But what you would realize is that the more you take off, the larger this is. Because you will, throughout eternity, God will reveal himself to us. And the more he reveals, the more we'll just go, God, you're so much bigger than I ever thought. We'll never go like, oh God, now I'm beginning to understand you. We will never get to the depths of God's heart, his soul, his love, his grace for us. Right? We will constantly be learning. And so we have to put ourselves in a position of, of learning. So another thing with um, sleight of hand is called misdirection. Most of you would be familiar with misdirection. I'll give you the, the Webster def- definition, and then I'll give you a better definition. Um, this is what Webster. Um, the action or process of directing someone to the wrong place or the wrong direction. So a famous pa- um, painting called The Conjurer by Bosch. Um, this is um, from 1502. As you can see, he's doing a cup and ball illusion, right? But you can see this little boy is underneath, you know, grabbing something from underneath his cloak, right? And this, this guy staring like off into the stars is grabbing his purse or his wallet or whatever's on the back of him, right? It's, he's just like looking out into the abyss. So this guy's completely misdirected by this guy, the magician holding a, a ball, right? All of his focus is right there. Satan easily distracts us and we focus right here and all of these things happen instead of us focusing on the things uh, of God and what he has for us, right? And instead of a ball, it might be our phone, our computer, something that's, uh, that, that could be a good thing, but we're distracted from a better thing. Let me give you a better definition of, uh, of misdirection by Tommy Wonder. He's one of my favorite magicians. He's passed away, but he said, misdirection implies the wrong direction. It suggests that attention is directed away from something. By constantly using this term, it eventually becomes so ingrained in our minds that we start to perceive misdirection as directing attention away from rather than towards something. So anytime I'm doing sleight of hand, right, is I, I might be doing one thing here and doing something else with this hand, right? But I... I put my focus here. God is um, not just directing us away from something, but towards something. This is 2 Timothy 2.22. Is it says, so flee the youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So we have two things going on here. We flee and we pursue, right? So we're going away from something, but we're going towards something. And for a long time, I didn't get this. I I would think in anytime there was temptation in my life, I would think about, I need to run. I need to flee. 
But that was it. I didn't have the second part of that equation is I'm not just running from something, I'm running towards something, right? Does that make sense? So we are, we are pursuing righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on, a, um, call on the Lord out of a pure heart, right? So these are, these are the secrets, right? Is that we don't just run from, but we run toward. We could also say we don't just, you know, run from Satan, but we run towards God, right? Towards the things that he has for us, drawing close to him. This is, if I think there's like one thing that I would say with this message, like hang on to this, if you only get one thing, and I could say this like without question, because when Jesus said it, he was summarizing everything in the Old Testament. They're like, hey, what should we do? What, you know, what do you think about the, the law? What do you think about the prophets? And Jesus summarized the whole thing with this. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Here's where I think we, we get misdirected. There are so many little things that we get distracted on and hung up that might be even biblical, but we miss out on loving God with everything we have, on loving our neighbor, and we get caught up in like some political issue or we get caught up in some minor thing, and God's like, and it's not that the minor things are, are wrong, but if we're not doing the majors, loving God, loving others, then we're falling short of what God has for us. We're getting misdirected with temptations. And we could see this with uh, Mary and Martha, right? The, the story of Mary and Martha, it says, now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teachings. But Martha was distracted with serving. And she went up and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Right? Martha was distracted, right? She was distracted from Jesus by doing something good, serving. So she wanted to do something good. This week, you know what I got distracted with? I, I got distracted with um, our dog, I had to put my dog down about four weeks ago. And so this week I've been looking for a new dog. I'm like, you know, all these distract, like I'm, I should be working on the sermon. I should be working on my message. I'm like flipping through, you know, I, I shared it on the men's retreat I was at, you know, I shared, I had lost a dog a couple days before that, or we put the dog down and, you know, people were coming up to me like, oh yeah, I had to put my fish down, you know, and I was like, your fish. And then somebody else like, yeah, my cat, I remember when he died. I was like, who cares about a cat? We're talking about my dog. You know, I vacuumed up my hamster and he didn't die, but I'm like, what are you talking about? Right. Um, And I got distracted with all these things because I, you know, I should be hearing their heart, but I'm so focused on myself, right? I should care about their fish. I didn't at that time, right? I was so focused on like my own pain, my own struggle. Sometimes we get distracted with a good thing, right? Like serving, but we have something that God wants to do that's bigger. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion or the better thing, which will not be taken away from her. So 
Martha was distracted from Jesus because she was anxious and troubled about many things. I think that just fits with where so many of us are at different times where we're, we are so anxious and troubled. And instead of sitting at the feet of Jesus and hearing from him, hearing those secret and hidden things that we couldn't know any other way, we get distracted. And so we do good things, but we miss being with Jesus, loving the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And so it says that she was anxious, but one thing is necessary, Jesus said. One thing is necessary. And if we go back, what's that one thing? Sitting at the feet of Jesus, right? Listening to his teachings. Psalm 27, four says, one thing I ask from the Lord, one thing, right? This I do seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple, right? Is I want to get caught up in his presence and in loving him and knowing him and not just doing things for him, but being his, knowing that I am his and loved by him. Does that make sense, that, that distinction? Okay. So clarity is the next one. So if I'm going to, um, let's say I wanted to change, I'll, I'll give you an, a different, I'll show you a video here. I'll show you a video. But let's say I was going to change an apple into an orange, right? Is you need to be sure that that apple is really, you know, you want to taste it, you want to look at it, and then I change it. If I just came out, I'm like, hey, look, I have an apple, and now it's an orange, right? There wouldn't be that, that clarity. So I'll, I'll show, you, show you a quick video here of clarity, right? It's so with that, just keeping things super clear, right? This one's inside, this one's outside, is if that's not clear, if, I, if I'm hiding things, right? Um, confusion, this is my favorite magician ever, um, Di Vernon. Um, he's also passed away. I, I've only met him in my mind. Um, uh, 1993, he passed away, but he said this, confusion is not magic, right? Um, Jesus's teachings are clear and they require action, they're not confusing. They're clear. Our question is, are you going to be obedient, right? When we hear God's word, are we obedient to do what he says? Or do we just go, oh, those are some good facts. Like, I'll write that down. But you could write everything down. But if you don't put it into practice, Jesus says that we're like fools, right? Who build our house on sand if we don't put his word into practice. This is one of the clearest teachings of Jesus that as a church, we are called to do says this, Matthew 28. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Let's just stop there for a second, right? Therefore, go. How many of you, God is telling you to go, but you stay? This is precisely what the disciples did. Jesus's word is super clear, go. You know what they did? They stayed in Jerusalem, they didn't go anywhere. Um, Jesus like, go. They stayed, right? You know what happened? Uh, most of you will know, but if you don't, the, the reason they left is Stephen, the first martyr, got killed for being a Christian. And they went, well, if he's getting killed for being a Christian, we're out of here, right? And so that's how the gospel began to spread. Not because Jesus said it, which it should have been, that should have been enough, but because Stephen was killed, a horrible death being stoned in front of some of them, right, is they, they left and they scattered, 
right? So Jesus says, therefore go and do what? Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you um, to the very end of the age. So go and make disciples and then we baptize them and we teach them to obey everything. So if you're like, well, I don't, I don't know what to do. First, go. Where's God calling you to go? Maybe it's to a neighbor, right? And just say, hey, I'm your neighbor. Um, brought you cookies, right? Start with, like, love your neighbor as yourself. Um, what's a neighbor? Well, start with your actual neighbors, right? Um, uh, maybe it's somebody at work, right? Maybe you're called to share with somebody at work. Maybe you're just called to go to them and just hear them out. Be present in their lives and then make disciples. Well, I don't know how to make disciples. Uh, I don't know. How am I going to baptize them? I'm not a pastor. I I, I mean, am I allowed to? Jesus doesn't say you have to be a pastor. Anybody says, we are called the church to go and make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them. Well, I don't know what to teach them. Open up Jesus' word. Whatever Jesus says, go teach them right? Teach them to obey everything. Jesus, all right, love the Lord your God. Okay, I will go tell people. Um, you know, somebody that I'm doing life with, maybe um, in my rooted group, maybe in a, um, a small group that, that you're a part of, right? Is you could teach them to obey, right? So his, his teachings are clear. One, we make disciples. Two, we baptize them. Three, we teach them. So we have to have clarity of what Jesus is teaching. So when we hear it, we put it into practice and do what he says. Okay. So there's another principle. This is probably one of my favorite principles. Like when I'm developing something new, like this I'll put on like a whiteboard and go, okay, how can I bring about surprise in suspense. I love um, Alfred Hitchcock. Uh, he says this, in other words, we're back to the usual alternatives. Do we want suspense or surprise? And so Alfred Hitchcock gives this like beautiful imagery of this. As he said, um, for those of you who don't know, um, I don't know how you want to know Alfred Hitchcock, but that's all right. As if you don't know, he's a filmmaker. He's made a lot of films. Uh, and so Alfred Hitchcock, he, he would say this with surprise. It would be like um, if uh, boyfriend here, girlfriend here, table here, they're sitting down and you see the ring in this guy's pocket because he's about to ask his girlfriend to marry him, right? And then... Um, you know, camera comes in and the whole place blows up. Surprise, right? And Alfred Hitchcock's like, I would rather do suspense, right? So su- surprise, you get it. It's like, boom, it just happened. Okay, I don't know. They're dead, right? But the way suspense works is you put a clock underneath the table. It says five minutes. And now they're having this mundane conversation as the clock is ticking down. And it's like at 30 seconds, 20 seconds, and your heart's racing because you're like, are they going to get out before he gets to ask them? Will he ask and then they die? What's going to happen, right? It's very suspenseful, right? Jesus has all, God throughout the scriptures has all kinds of things that are just totally suspenseful, which I would encourage you to look for these words. If you don't have like a, a study you're doing right now, you could go online, look up, but God, and you'll find all kinds of different studies on how God reveals himself. I'll give you one, maybe two of them. Um, in Ephesians, it talks about all these things that we were before we came to Christ, but then it says, but God, 
being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. Right? Nothing we did, but God shows up and says, I'm going to be merciful. I'm going to be loving. I'm going to show you grace, but God. Right? And there's all kinds of these uh, that, that we could look at in um, both the Old Testament and New Testament of how God just shows up and says, but God, right? Uh, With uh, the story of Joseph, right? You have all of these crazy things that happened to Joseph that seemed to just be like horrible things of like thrown into a pit, left for dead by his brothers. Uh, Ultimately, you know, he'd end up in, in prison and coming second in charge. But when he meets with his brothers, he says, look, what you did, you intended to harm me, but God, he intended to accomplish good things, which are now being done by the saving of many lives, right? You intended to harm me, but God, right? Is there all over and God shows up and just says, I want to surprise you. I want to surprise you with my grace and my love. And if we look in our own lives, I'm sure we could look back and go, wow, but God showed up in that moment. I was in the worst place. I didn't feel any hope, but God showed up and reminded me I'm not alone. So with, with magic, you have the expository phase and the magic phase, the, the phase like that happens, the buildup, and then you have this magic moment. But to get to that magic moment, you need conviction, right? Uh, I'm going to show you a clip here in the... There's a lot of different things that I that are called convincers that I put in here. I'll, I'll play the clip. It's a, a short clip. So um, part of uh, the convincing there is the sound. Sound is a convincer. Um, showing the pen on the outside, it's easy to see that it's not inside. It's, you need to be totally convinced when I'm doing sleight of hand that things are what they seem, right? If um, if you thought, well, that doesn't sound like a, you know, you'd be like, oh, okay, that, that's weird, right? But everything's authentic um, so that it, you create a great, great illusion, right? Um, so our conviction, right, the things that we are convinced of in our faith are going to um, affect our actions and how we live. So it says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen, right, is you have to know that God has been faithful before for you to trust that he's going to be faithful with the things that you can't see yet, right? So this is the way uh, uh, Corey Ten Boom, if you guys haven't read her story, I encourage you to read that side note. All right, um, but it's, uh, she put this, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God, right? Is I don't know what the future is, but I know God has been faithful way before I ever showed up on the scene. I've seen him faithful in my life over and over again. I've seen him faithful in the lives of friends and family around me. So I could trust the unknown future to a known God, right? I am so convinced that he's never going to not be faithful that I could trust that when I don't know the answers that he does, right? Is I, I don't know what the future holds, but I know God will be faithful through it. In First Thessalonians, 
<laughs> it says this, for we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. I'm going to read the rest of that in a second. But if you don't know those two things, if you're not convinced of those, that you are loved by God and that he has chosen you, how are you going to act accordingly? How are you going to trust him with the unknown? How are you going to live out the gospel? How are you going to share your faith if you don't feel the love of God in knowing that he has chosen you? Not because of anything you've done, right? But because of his grace. He just says, you know what? I want to choose you. I love you. I'm going to give my life for you. I'm going to send my son to die in your place for you. I've chosen you. I love you. If we don't know those, if we're not convinced of those, it's going to affect everything we do. But when you become convinced of those two things, it changes the outcome. It transforms how you think, how you believe, how you act. So that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. So when we share the gospel, right, the good news with others, that God loves them, that God has chosen them, that God's for them, that God could heal them, that God could um, reveal secret and hidden things to them that they do not know, right? When we share the gospel with somebody, it's not simply with the words, but it comes with action, with power of the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction, right? We don't just do this on our own, but we do this as a family of God. We do it with the Holy Spirit working in and through us. So what we say, right? So um, for magicians, this is called patter, right? Of what I say, what am I going to, when I take a trick, it's like, well, uh, what am I going to do with this? What am I going to say? What story do I want to convey, right? I have to figure those things out because I can't just get on stage and go, well, I've got four cards, you know, you have to figure out what are you going to say that is going to communicate in such a way that it connects with people where they are. So with, um, when it comes to the scriptures, um, Jesus um, has a lot to say about what we, how we speak things. So Matthew 12 says this, Jesus says, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Just think about that for a second. Your mouth, what comes out of your mouth, will only be what your heart is full of. So what are you filling your life with? If you're constantly, and, and I'm, I'm not a believer in, I, I know it's an old expression of like, um, what you put in comes out. I'm not a believer completely in that because I, I do think you can watch things or talk about things or have a conversation about things that are unholy with people that are, you know, coming to, to faith in Christ or don't know Christ yet. And we can't avoid those. We're to be in the world, but not of the world, right? So we can't just avoid all that, but it's the filter that we put those things into our life with, right? Is do we just let everything that's evil just come into our life? Or do we have a filter and go, you know what? I'm going to not do this. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be distracted by that. I'm not going to focus on that. I'm going to focus on these things. And I'm going to let these things fill up my heart so that out of the overflow of my heart, my mouth will speak. And a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. And an evil man brings things out of evil that are stored up in him. Like it, 
It's just, Jesus just going, this is simple. What are you going to put in your life? Because it's going to come out, right? And then he says this, but I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. Some of us just want to go, oh, God's going to forgive. It doesn't really matter what I say, what I do. But Jesus is saying, no, every word you say, when you say something careless to your wife, you are accountable for that. As a child, when you say something dumb to your parent, you are accountable for those empty words. We are accountable for what we say. For by your words, you will be acquitted and by your words, you will be condemned. Right? Is we have to think about what we are going to say and how we're going to say it. We can't just say the right thing, but do it in a way that is condescending or tears somebody down, but we're saying the right thing, right? As Jesus says, it, we do things, um, we share the truth in love, right? We don't just get to do it however we want. We can't just share the truth and go, oh, there's a truth bomb, deal with it, right? No, we do that in love and in grace, right? Our words, we will be held accountable for and we will be acquitted by our words um, or we'll be condemned by them. What do your words reflect? Uh, If I was to ask one of your friends, one of your family members, what are they seeing in your heart from what you say? This is the way Paul put in Ephesians. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. So, Better to be silent, right? Than just keep saying things that are hurtful and tearing others down. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up. Not according to your needs, right? But according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. This one is one of my favorite verses for family. My wife and I, probably when uh, our kids are 20, 18, and 14, I would guess my boys were maybe five and six, five and seven, somewhere in that age, when we started to put this into practice. We're at Forest Home. And somebody challenged us with this, this verse. And we started to think about, are we saying things that are helpful for building up others? So if I say something to Kim, is it building her up that it may benefit my children that are listening, right? They, they are going to repeat some of those things that I say, right? If you're at work and you're, let's say you're the boss, right? And you come to a coworker, but other people are hearing it. What you say, right, is it benefiting those who listen, right? We don't just get to say whatever we want and think that there's no accountability for our words. We can't just say, well, that's the way it is. Well, they have to deal with it. No, we are accountable for our words. It should build others up, and anybody who's in our presence should benefit those who are listening. Okay, so... Magic happens in the mind. Okay, this is one of these like core things for me that I'm always trying to think of like what's happening when I do something here, what's going on, what's the conversation that's going on in somebody's mind and how do I work on that? So this is the way Jamie and Swiss put it. Uh, Magic effects are fragile um, and they often um, been mouthed, but too little understood. Magic happens not in actuality, but in the spectator's mind. Let me give you an example. In 1918, in the middle of the Hippodrome, uh, the largest theater in the world at the time, 
uh, Houdini made this 10,000 foot, or uh, not 10,000 feet, believe me, it's not 10,000 feet, 10,000 pound um, genie um, disappear in front of a live audience. And David Copperfield, some of you would remember this. I remember seeing this live uh, in front of a live audience and live on television made the Statue of Liberty disappear. Now, neither of these actually did this, right? But it did happen in their mind. It's kind of like with these guys. I was at this church recently and I thought, you know what? I did one thing in their mind already. They're just going to be crushed if I do another. So I'll show you a, a quick clip of this. But basically I have... Somebody just think of a word and I reveal it. So when you do stuff in the mind, right, people just lose it. They just can't handle it. Uh, this, is, this is one of the things that God wants to do is he wants to get inside of our minds, right? Uh, and he wants to transform us um, starting with um, how we think. So Romans 12, 2 says, do not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So God's saying, look, I want to transform how you think. One of the things that that I'm realizing more and more is how we think just affects everything, right? If we think negative things about ourselves, we're going to say negative things about us and others, right? If you begin to transform your mind by God's word and say, you know what? I am chosen and I'm loved. Just start there, right? If you believe those two things, it's going to affect a lot more if you really believe that on how you, you practice um, loving others, how you love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, how you discern what God's will is, right? In First Thessalonians says this, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. Why? For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus, right? So God wants to reveal his will for you in Christ Jesus, but we have to trust, like God has a plan for me. God has a story for me. God knows the unknown. I don't walk into that on my own. I have to have a mind that's set on being transformed by him so that I could do the will of God, knowing that he knows the outcome, that he has a better story than I have for myself, that he has bigger dreams, right, than you have for yourself. God's plans are always better, but are we trusting in them? The last thing I'm going to say, so when with sleight of hand, when you're routining or designing a show, you're going to have your openers and you're going to have your closers. I'm going to give you a little glimpse of of the ending of one of my shows. Um, This is, I think, in February in Dallas. But it gives you a little glimpse of like when... When I'm closing, I always have the end in mind. Before I ever design a show, right, I'm thinking about how do I want to close this out. In our faith, right, we need to think about some of us are really close to the finish line. Like you were going to, it it could be over this week, right? And that's not based on age. Um, God could take out young people. He could take out, but when we finish, what's going to be said about us in the end? Are we going to be somebody who is known for for their faith in Christ, a deep faith? Are we going to be known in the end for how much we loved God, how much we loved our family, how much we loved others? What are you going to be known for in the end? And so this is, this is a little, a little glimpse of the the end of a show. Uh, Keep in mind, this is my plan from the beginning. 
So judging a magic show based on one's knowledge of the secrets, right? And this is why it's such a, a crazy time we live in where people go, oh, I watched this on YouTube and now I know how everything's done. I'm like, I don't really care what you think about like a, a secret or a method um, because a show can't be judged on that. You can't create those moments by knowing a, a couple of secrets, right? It takes um, developing how people think, psychology. There's all these things that go into a show and thinking about how are you going to end this deal? How are you going to close it? it's the same thing like um, art, right? I can't take a sculpture and just go, well, based on how it weighs, I could tell you how good that art is, right? That, that's irrelevant to the conclusion that somebody did to design that, that piece of art. So this is, when, when we think about closing, I think about all the things that Jesus did, like that were just these aha, these big moments, like the the prodigal son, right? When at the end of that story, you have the, you know, just craziness of a father in that culture, like picking up his robes to run after his son just wouldn't happen. And it says, for the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. And they began to celebrate, right? It's crazy that God would go after us right? That prodigal son, there's no reason that the father should go after him, but that father represents God's heart. That even when we're at our worst, while we're sinners, God goes after us. That's a closing moment. It's a mic drop where God's like, hey, by the way, this is who I am. When you're at your worst, I'm going to go after you and show you that we're going to celebrate because you were once lost, but I found you right? um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What happens with them? You know, it's like, hey, you need to bow down to this idol. And they're like, hey, we're not going to bow down. Well, if you don't bow down, you know, you're going to get thrown in the fiery pit. And they're like, well, we're not going to bow down. Um, And our God, he will rescue us. But even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down. And so um, King Nebuchadnezzar throws them in, right? And the great closing surprise is like, Hey, there's four people in there and they're dancing around. You know, everybody's like partying in the fire pit. And, you know, um, the king has to ask them to come out of the fiery pit. And now King Nebuchadnezzar, he has a life change because of what God did in that moment, right? These stories are all over. You have, you know, you don't get thrown into a lion's den, Daniel, right? You don't get thrown into a lion's den and walk out. But he walks out because an angel protected him. God has so many stories like this throughout the scriptures of how he could transform somebody's life, how he shows up in the 11th hour and says, you know what? I'm going to save you. I'm going to rescue you. God wants to rescue you. He wants to show you his love. He wants to show you his grace. Your story's not over, right? Whether you're at the the beginning of your faith journey or you've been doing this for 50 years, your story's not over until you take that last breath. So let's run our race. Let's live the life that God's designed us to live. Let's live on purpose, knowing that he loved us enough to send his own son to die in our place, that he has chosen us, that he's going after us, that he's never going to give up on us. No matter where you might be today, you have to know that God has a great story for you. You might not know it. You might look forward and go, I don't know what God's going to do. But God knows, and God's going to show up, and he's going to do something great in and through you. Let's pray. God, I know sometimes in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our anxious and troubled hearts, we forget to just sit at your feet. Lord, so I pray that we would learn to be still and know that you are God. 
I pray that we would hear from you and do what you say, that you would reveal secret and unknown things. Lord, I pray that we would give everything to you every day. God, I thank you for each person here, and I pray that we just draw close to you as we just sing out to you and call out to you now. In Jesus' name.